Good to see you here this morning. You can be seated. Again, if you, if you didn't hear the announcement, this coming Sunday evening at 6 p.m., we'll not have a service here. We'll be at the Goodo's house, Buck and Rachel's house out in Prairieville. We're having a baptism service, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. Just pray for good weather and, and everything that the Lord would bless. Y'all turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're just going to read two verses this morning. Ephesians 6, 12 through 13. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We're going to be talking for the next couple of weeks about this conflict. There's a conflict. Uh, he, in, we're, we're told here in Ephesians chapter 6 and other places in the scriptures as well. It's not the question of, of are we going to wrestle and how do we wrestle. The question is we, we do wrestle. As believers, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a question, do believers struggle with things? Is there a conflict ongoing? Is there a struggle? Is there a wrestling Yes, there is. So now we're going to talk about the nature of it and how do we engage in this and what God would have us to do. And so it says right here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against uh, another human being in their strength. We're not wrestling even against a, uh, a group of people or armies and that, that sort of thing. We're, we're wrestling against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's not flesh and blood. That's not flesh and blood. It is spiritual powers that be that are anti-God, anti-Christ. They're real. They're just as real as God is real, and, the, and uh, his, his Holy Spirit and angels and so forth are real. There are, these, there are spiritual wickedness, and there's darkness and rulers in high places. Amen? And we are fighting or wrestling. The word wrestle... It means wrestle. I looked it up. It means wrestle. And so it's the only time it's used actually in the New Testament. And there, uh, T. Austin Sparks made a wonderful statement in a book I've been reading. He says, the pathway to glory is the pathway of conflict. Now, we wouldn't want it to be that way. We would say, let the pathway to glory just be the right, nice, easy road. But the pathway to glory is a pathway to conflict. And so that is the nature of this walk with the Lord. When the Bible speaks in Philippians 2 about let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, it goes, what was the mind of Christ Jesus? What was his will? What was his mind? It was one of humility. It was one of service, right? He became obedient unto, doesn't say he became obedient unto the crown or to glory. He became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore? Because he was obedient, he took a form, the form of a servant, humbled himself, and he was obedient to his father unto death, even the death on the cross. Because of that, the next scripture says, wherefore, or in light of that, or because as a result of that, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Amen? So there is the pathway to glory is the pathway to conflict. The pathway... 
uh, is a pathway of conflict. There's a fighting. There's a struggle that goes on in the Christian life. There is a wrestling. Amen. There is a fight that takes place. It's part of our walk with the Lord. Have you recognized it? Do you, do you experience it yourself? If you're in Jesus, you do. Uh, it's part of the life of the believer on this earth, and it is also God's plan. It's his pathway for us to grow and mature and to enter into the fullness of what he has for us. It's, a, it's part of his plan. It, there's a fullness that the Lord has for us that none of us have experienced yet. And I think this is something that's always in the Lord's heart and in his mind to show us. The day that you pray to give your life to Jesus is the day you were born again, when you meant it sincerely. You were saved and you were forever saved. But that was just, that, that, that was like the, the end in the sense of, okay, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven, your sins are forgiven, you've given, been given the gift of eternal life. But that was just the beginning of your walk with God. And in that walk with God and all the purpose that he has planned and desired for your life as a Christian, as, as being in his son Jesus, there's a fullness to that. And that is something we gain over time. That's something we gain as we yield to the Lord. That's something we gain uh, as we surrender to the Lord and God. We allow the Lord to work in us his will. Amen. And so it's, it's a pathway of this conflict is what God has designed. I'm going to say this at the beginning. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about this subject. So you say, oh, conflict. The life of a Christian is conflict. Well, I'd rather not be a Christian. No, you would rather be a Christian, I promise you. It is not the fact that it's a conflict or a struggle or that involves our life as a, in Christ involves wrestling is not depressing. It's not gloomy. It's not a life filled with fear. It's not miserable. It's not joyless. But it is the path that he's chosen for us to enter into all that he has for us. Now, I'm jumping way ahead, but perfect in a natural example of this spiritual truth would be the Israelites coming into the promised land. They had to fight. They had to fight against Jericho. Now, the Lord did miracles before them. The Lord was their strength. The Lord assured them of the victory. That one, the question was not victory, but he still sent them out there to fight. They had military leaders, they had Joshua leading them, and they had military campaigns, and they fought. And so that would be in a natural sense, very similar. It's not to make it to heaven, it's to enter into the fullness of what the Lord has for us. There is a fullness, and I think mo so many come short. I I'm not good at putting statistics, but I would say most people, most believers probably go through life and come short of what God really intended for them, of what was possible for them. We're just saying, you do impossible things, right? I think a lot of us come short of, of what, what God has for us in this life. We're not going to come short of heaven. The blood of Jesus assures us of that. Amen? We've been robed in the righteousness of another. We've already passed from death to life. We've already been given right now, presently, the gift of eternal life. It is ours. Okay? But we're, there's a fullness that the Lord wants us to enter into now. However many more days we have on this earth, he wants us to be more dead to ourselves, more alive unto God, more of the Lord in us and living uh, through us for his glory. So I'll say this, that already we're more than conquerors. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? 
Romans were more than conquerors, yet there's conflict. You know that there's conflict. We just read it here in the Bible. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do wrestle, okay? You know it from experience. We know it from other scriptures in the Bible. We're victorious in Christ, and yet there's a struggle. There are battles that we must fight. We're saved for all eternity, and yet we're in a struggle. I just want to read this from Genesis 47. I'll read it quickly. Jacob, when he was later in life and and been through, through so many things in life, and he was going into Egypt. You know, he, he heard that Joseph was alive, and Joseph was in Egypt, and Joseph, 70 souls and all, Jacob and all his clan come to live in Egypt because there's food there. And he goes and he actually appears before Pharaoh face to face, Jacob and Pharaoh. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of, of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, few and evil have been the days and years of my have been the days and years of my life. He's basically when he says few and evil, he means he means that they're filled with tribulation. That's actually what that means when you look it up. Jacob is saying, I've had a, a life filled with tribulations. And yet he was God's man. He was God's chosen one. It was Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob actually had the twelve sons that became the twelve tribes of Israel. The fulfillment of Jesus Christ is fulfilled through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to David and into Joseph and Mary. And so he, he was God's chosen, and yet God, he had a life filled with conflict. He had a life filled with struggles. When he says few and evil, that means the evil there literally means filled with trials. He had a, a life filled with trials. And so what is the struggle, what is the str- struggle between? What is the conflict it's literally a battle between light and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, right? He lives in us. We're the light of the world. It's literally a battle between light and darkness. It's literally a battle between life and death. That's really the, the battle. Not so that we'll live. We're already born again. But a struggle of life and death for this life of Christ to be manifest through us in the midst of a world that's dark and, and lost in sin and death, okay? Jesus, uh, the, the Bible says in John chapter 1, in the light, uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. That's Jesus. He steps down, comes and robes himself in a, in a human body. He, was, he was, didn't have the sinful nature of Adam. He was sinless and perfect, but he took on him the form of a man. So the light shines in the darkness, perfect sinless nature, okay, of God Almighty incarnate. The light shines in the darkness, and the dark, darkness, it says in King James Version, the darkness comprehended it not. That might be a little bit confusion when I think of the word, uh, confusing when I think of the word uh, comprehended or comprehension, but it literally means the darkness was not able to overcome it. So the light shone in the darkness, there's much more darkness than light when you look at it. If Jesus is the light of the world and he comes in, the, the light shone in the darkness and the darkness was not able to overcome it. And so that's the, that's the battle, right? Jesus showed the victory that there's the battle between light and darkness. There's not a gray area. Clarissa mentioned it in Sunday school. You know, people like to talk and think about a gray area. They're, they're almost this. They're almost a Christian. They're halfway living for God. Uh, there's not really a gray area. And there's not really a, a, a blend between life and death. 
Somebody might be sick, but they're still living, right? There's not a, a, a mixture of life and death. This is the struggle that, that we're facing. And again, it's not to make you make it to heaven. I have to stress this because I want you to, it's important that we understand. Say, oh, I'm in a conflict. I'm wrestling. Am I wrestling to make it to heaven? No, you're not. We're saved by grace through faith, right? Saved, past tense. That is how we were saved. I'm not adding anything to salvation or the righteousness that's been imputed to us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or, or being justified fully by his grace. That is fully by the Lord. But then he says, now you're my child. I have saved you, and I've redeemed you for a purpose. Like we talked about last week with the VBS sermon, uh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I have a purpose for your life, okay? And there's a fullness, and the Lord wants Jesus Christ to be manifest in you. I'm not talking about something weird. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the life of Christ, increasing and us decreasing. John the Baptist said when Jesus came on the scene, and came down to the Jordan River. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He told the Pharisees, I must decrease that he must, and he must increase. Okay, and that, that is really the life of the believer. And so the Bible's we're not struggling, we're not wrestling powers of darkness and so forth to be forgiven of our sins. We've been forgiven of our sins. We've been forgiven. We've been washed. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. If I sin again today, then I need to ask God to forgive me, and he'll remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. So I'm not struggling to be forgiven of sins. I'm forgiven. I'm not struggling to be a child of God and to be part of his family. I'm adopted. We're adopted sons and daughters, it says in Romans, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ and children of God to as many as received him, John chapter 1, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We're already part of his family, so the struggle is not for that. But it is a struggle nonetheless to walk this life out and to live the overcoming life of Jesus Christ, to allow him to live through us. That is the struggle. When I'm grumbling and complaining, when I'm depressed for six months, six weeks or however long, and I'm down and I'm gloomy and I'm mad at the world maybe and I can't smile at anybody or anything like that, that's not the overcoming life. It doesn't mean I'm not saved. It means that's what we're talking about. There's a fullness of this life. Jesus didn't walk around gloomy, did he? Not one time. His heart broke over sinners, but it wasn't a gloom. That's because he loved sin sinners. He was never depressed. He was never discouraged. He was never afraid. He was never impatient. He was never put out or bothered. I am, okay? There's an overcoming life of Jesus that the Lord wants me to walk more fully in. And when I start walking in that, they don't want me more, more, more fully than that. That's not depressing or discouraging. That is new ground that we take. Like Joshua entering into the promised land, this is for me. Everywhere where the soles of your foot tread, that's your land. I've marked out the borders. Now go get it. It took them time. They went from place to place. God was with them. God won the victories. God assured them of victories and so forth. But they had to possess it. They had to fight and take it. Some battles were easier than others, but they took it, and they began to possess it. And so that's what the Lord is saying for us as believers. It's not a question of, of making it to heaven it's a question of walking 
fully in this life because there's death that's battling you and me at every turn. It's, it's, it's true. There's darkness battling you at every turn. Every time you want to shine your light and share the gospel with somebody, every time you want to get up and say, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and phone rings and there's some bad news or something, death is trying to stop us or our bodies, you know. I want to wake up feeling rested for once, and I'm exhausted again today. You know, my body's worn out. Uh, Death is battling us at every turn, but God wants to show himself mighty. And, he, and it is ours for the taking to walk in that. We're constantly, the life of Christ in you and in the believer is constantly being, I would say, buffeted, battled, opposed by the enemy, by darkness, by death. And what is the enemy trying to do? What is the adversary trying to do? We have an adversary, the Bible tells us. He's trying to bring death to your faith. You could really sum it up in that. He wants to destroy your faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, uh, the Lord told Peter before he went to the cross, he said, Satan is, Simon, let me tell you something. Satan has desired to have you. Jesus had this, knew it. There was this thing between the, he knew what the devil was trying to do to Peter. Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. We've talked about that. That literally means if you took a machine gun and riddled this building filled with holes to where where it collapsed. I mean, just like in the war movies, you shoot it until it collapses and falls in. Satan wants to do that to your faith. One hole after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. He wants to destroy your faith. But Jesus said, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And guess what? He struggled. He denied the Lord the night he was arrested, but he came back. He ended up dying for Jesus Christ. He was an apostle to the Jews. God used him in a mighty way. And so I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, you go strengthen your brothers. Not when you're saved. When you come back from this trial, you go back and strengthen your brothers and these other others that I've chosen as well. And so the, the, the life of Christ is being buffeted. Satan wants to destroy your faith. He wants to bring death to your joy. You can be a Christian and not be happy. You know that? You can be a Christian and not be joyful because we're focused on circumstances, and they might be severe. We're focused on situations. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on the government. We're focused on whatever's going on around us other than, rather than the Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord. But Satan wants to bring death to your joy. He wants to bring death to your hope. He wants to bring death to your heavenly calling that the Lord has placed upon your life. And he wants to bring death to your testimony. I've talked about it before. A testimony is a valuable thing. Not just you're saved and you're really saved, but the people around you know you're saved and you live for God. Not that you're perfect, but you are serious about your walk with the Lord and you're consistently and constantly walking with the Lord. You have a testimony. And it is something that's public. It's something that's private, and it's something that's public. Satan wants to destroy your testimony. He can't take you to hell. You've given your life to Jesus. But he can wreck, make you miserable in this life. And we can give place to the devil and, and, and end up in a backslidden state. But our victory in the Lord is complete. But walking in that victory is another story. That's what we're talking about. That's where the conflict 
comes. I'm going to read this from Colossians. This is speaking about Jesus Christ having spoiled principalities and powers. Isn't that what we're told? That's what we, we wrestle against? The Lord has won the victory, basically. He has spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Christ is, the Lord's not trying to get the victory over death, hell, the grave, or the devil. He has the victory. He is, we're the light of the world now because Christ is in us. The battle comes when I start to walk that out. If I take my light and hide it under a bushel, nobody's going to be offended. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to be passed over my pr- promotion and so forth in the workplace. But I take that light and I cover it up. I'm not going to be opposed. The devil will say, well, this one, I believe this one alone. I'll go find somebody else. When you start letting that light shine before men, you can book it and believe it that you're going to have some more conflict. It's going to heat up. Should I run from that? No, we shouldn't. God is trying to do something. He is trying to show himself strong in the behalf of weak people like me and like you. He's trying to show himself strong that this overcoming life, see, he's, he's saying, look, look at Randy here, you know, or look at Dee or look at Chris or Katie. And he's showing us, he's putting us in a trying situation. And he's showing, you can't overcome that life in them. He wants, to, he wants the devil to see that. He wants you to see it so your faith will be strengthened in the Lord. The only way to see it is not to read about it in the Bible. The only way to see it is when we get out there and there's conflict and we see God is greater as he that's in us than he that's in the world. I didn't lose my faith. I'm not going to hell. <clears throat> I didn't lose my joy and so forth. I'm still here. I'm still standing, and I'm still standing with and for Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Well, it was made manifest, this, power, this overcoming life in us, because God put us in a position of struggling and wrestling, not because he's not kind. You know, I always, I've played sports, and I've coached sports, and I always use sports. I think they're a great example. A coach that's a good coach is going to, might put his players through the ringer. I mean, it's 98 degrees, and he's making, making them run in full pads up and down the field at the end of a two-hour practice, and they're about to have heat stroke. And <clears throat> you say he's trying to kill those boys. And actually, he's trying to prepare you for what's coming. I'm talking about a good coach, not one that really does want to kill the players. Uh, so you understand when a, a, a drill sergeant in the military in boot camp those guys think they're not, they're not going to make it through this. I'm going to die. i got to do this all night and stay awake 24 hours, and i got to do this and march with this 100 pounds of backpack on me. And, and yet it's not that the drill sergeant is trying to prepare them for something. You couldn't just tell a recruit, here, here's what you have to do in basic training. They have to go through basic training to become a Marine or whatever it may be. And so <clears throat> the Lord allows us to go through things. He is a good shepherd, like we heard in Sunday school. The, the Lord has not, he didn't exempt us from struggles and trials. You know that. We would be preaching a false gospel if I was to come through saying, give your life to Jesus, you're going to go to heaven, and everything in this life here on this earth is going to be just blessed and perfect. You won't have any trials or tribulations or struggles. That would be a false gospel. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Of who? The righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. 
In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulations. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Our cheer is in Jesus. Our cheer is in knowing the Lord and that he's overcome the world. Okay, God, here we go. Wherever you send me, I'll go. You'll be with me. You'll give me the strength. If I face the devil personally, one-on-one, you're greater. I will step out and, and allow you to be seen and glorified through it all. Amen. Don't be depressed by it. Don't be disappointed or discouraged. <clears throat> Don't be afraid by this. The Lord is surely going to be with you every step of the way. He's going to be with you and me every step of the way. I want to read this from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? The Lord says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So when and where, what was the circumstances of this promise to Joshua? And when was that made? Well, I'm just going to let you know in Joshua chapter 1, 1 and 2. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I give to them, even the children of Israel. He goes on to say, there shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Is that not an amazing promise? They're getting ready to go into a land filled with giants. They had sent out the spies. Joshua, uh, years before, had been one of these spies that went and searched out the land. There were giants in the land. There were all kinds of things uh, greater than Joshua and greater than the children of Israel that were there. And, and the Lord's saying, there shall not be a man, any man, be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So here's a promise from God. He's saying, you're going to fight. You're going to face those giants. I'm not exempting you from that. You're going to face giants. You're going to face them head on. God's saying that you're going to face giants. You want the fullness of what I have for you in this life. You are going to face things that are trying to, to come against you and steal it from you, prevent you from having it. Not heaven. As I said, we're assured of heaven. God has promised us that, the eternal life, and on and on the promises we already have as believers. But he said, there's a lot I have for you, and, and I'm going to have to put you in these situations to show myself strong in and for and through you in this life. So understand there's a reason for the, the conflict. There's a reason that we go through. I want to talk about this just real, real quickly, okay? What is, what's the point of the conflict? Why do I have to go through it? One of the things, these are in no particular order, they serve to refine us. The conflicts as believers, they don't serve to save us. Jesus saved us. They serve to refine us to purify us, to mature us. I'll read this from Isaiah. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Now that's Israel. But I'll tell you what it says in 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So one of the things we'll try to, 
to move on with this. One of the purposes, why conflict? Why does there have to be conflict in my life as a believer? It serves a purpose. One, it serves to refine us. The Lord has chosen us in the fire of affliction. Two, it, it strengthens our faith in the Lord, like we just read, that the trying of your faith would come through to the glory of God. And thirdly, it shows forth the glory of God. It glorifies God. And here's how it glorifies the Lord. That his life and his power, and he's almighty, right? Almighty God can show himself strong through an earthen vessel. That's an amazing thing. You know, all these superheroes, and I don't keep up with them all in the, the movies and the, the comics and the, the superheroes, and they're all just larger-than-life kind of things. God is almighty, and he can show himself mighty through the least of us. David was a little teenage boy, and he killed the giant Goliath. How did he do it? God gave him the skill to do it. He says the battle is the Lord's battle. This is his battle. And so we have this treasure, we're told in 2 Corinthians, in an earthen vessel. The treasure is God. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The earthen vessel is just this weak, frail body that if we stub our toes, we cry. I mean, it's just, it's weak. It's frail. And God's saying, you're going to face devils. You're going to face hell. You're going to face governments and principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and darkness. You're going to wrestle against that. But he's made the same promise that he made to, to Joshua. But I'll surely be with you. There shall not be any man that's able to stand before you all the days of your life. It's his overcoming life. What does he say that he chose, that God chose in 1 Corinthians? Not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble after the flesh. He chose the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the things that are despised, that he might show forth whose power? His power. That no flesh should glory in his presence. David didn't glory in his presence. When he killed that giant, God got the glory. David made sure of it, that he gets the glory. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and read with me in, for, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> we're going to read verse 5, and then we're going to skip down. 2 Corinthians 1, 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. I mean, that's just right how he starts out. The sufferings of Christ abound. This isn't just a carefree life. The sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our comfort also aboundeth by Christ. Skip down to verse 9. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. That's like our, our salvation. He does deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So there's still a trusting, there's still conflict, there's still things coming into their, their lives where they need the Lord, <clears throat> need the Lord, and he's going to have to strengthen them. <clears throat> this has nothing to do with struggling to make into heaven, but rather it would be struggling to manifest heaven on this earth, so to speak, in these earthen vessels, with Christ showing him strong. has nothing to do with hoping we'll be forgiven our, our sins, but has everything to do with walking in the victory that he's given us over sin has nothing to do with us personally defeating the devil, but everything to do with God displaying 
his victory over the devil through those he's redeemed through our lives. Amen. And so one more passage, if you're in 2 Corinthians 4, turn to 2 Corinthians 4, read verses 9 through 11 with me. Persecuted but not forsaken. I know that you've heard this before. This is, this is the, the life of, of someone that truly follows the Lord, right? Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death. It just seems so, if, if we had done it, we probably would have done it a different way. You're saved and now everything is just like, like a fairy tale perfection. But God sees that there's a fellowship with him in, in suffering. God sees that there is things that can come to us only and take a new ground as we struggle and fight the conflict. That we learn that he is strong on our behalf. I don't learn it again from a message. I learn it from hearing the message and then walking out and seeing, yep, this is how it is. I didn't have any troubles. You might, somebody might say, I didn't have any troubles until I gave my life to Jesus. You know, and then, then you have these troubles. Or I didn't have any troubles when I was a carnal Christian, but I really started living for God. That's when Satan started coming against me. That's because God's using you. That's because God's wanting to do great things through your life. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Listen, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He's already saved. So what is he talking about? He's talking about more than being saved. He's talking about the life of Christ being manifest in these earthly, mortal, passing away bodies. That almighty God, the creator of the universe, would show himself strong in you and through you and for you. But how is it done? Well, we're delivered unto death all the time. Because every time Satan wants to snuff us out or rob our joy or take our testimony or, or take all of our happiness out of life and rob our peace, God's life rises up and shows that he's greater. He shows that he's greater. And this is how we learn it. I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but we might mistakenly think that the, pre the presence of such conflict, you really must be out of God's will. You know, if I'm, if I'm always struggling and having struggles and devil's always coming at me at every turn, maybe you're just out of God's will because this, this should be easy. But, no, that's a misunderstanding. Uh, sometimes we do struggle and have conflict because of our sin and rebellion, and we are out of, God, out of God's will. But I think many times, and God shows us if that's the case, but I think oftentimes the fact that we're facing conflict and struggling and wrestling so often is the result of being right in the center of God's will. And you look at all the men and women of God that we read about in the scriptures, and we see the ones that we admire, the ones we talk about. Uh, we're going we're to see, like, like Jacob, that their lives were filled with trials and tribulations. Satan is opposing your life. He's opposing us because God is growing us. God is using us. God is preparing us for something ahead. God is increasing our faith. God is increasing our knowledge of him. God is increasing our knowledge of the word. God is increasing our love for him and for others.
And Satan says, oh, there's one over there. I need to try and really come against them and squash them out like a bug. And when they do that, God just shows himself mighty. And we need to trust him for that and believe him for that. The Lord is preparing us. He's always preparing us for what's ahead. He's preparing this church for what's ahead. It's, everything is a preparation. Everything. You say, well, I'm 60 years old. I'm 70 years old. I'm 80 years old. Everything is still in Christ is a preparation for what he has for you next. He's preparing us for that. Amen? And so the Lord wants to show his overcoming life through us. Job's friends, if you want to call them friends, Job's friends thought for sure and that the reason all those calamities happened to Job was because he was out of God's will and he was in sin. To the man, every one of them. They came at it at a different angle, all of his counselors. But when all those calamities happened and they came to Job, everyone said, this is because of your sin. You're a hypocrite, Job. You talk about God, but you don't live it. That's not true. All this is a result of your sin, Job. And guess what? It was not. Could anybody, can you think of anybody besides Jesus that had more conflict or, or tribulation in this life than Job? I mean, his name is synonymous with it, right? And yet, that's not the case. So to think that because you're going through tri tribulations or trials or struggles or conflicts, oh, you must be out of God's will. You could be out of will, God's will. It's called sin, and we need to repent. But a lot of times when we're growing in the Lord and moving forward, and you say, you know what? I've never had a prayer life. I'm determined to have, get up in the mornings and have a prayer life. And you start to do that. And then the first day you try it, you're sleepier than you've ever been before. I mean, it happens. It's going to happen. You're going to be, your flesh is going to come against you. The devil's going to come against you. I've never really shared the gospel with anybody. I'm determined this week, by the grace of God, I'm going to share the gospel with at least one person. And you go and you can't speak. You're, you know, you break out in a cold sweat. Yes, these things are going to come against us. It's not a result of being out of God's will. He's wanting you to trust him and, and step on out in your cold sweat. I remember, y'all, and this wasn't part of the message this morning, that I surrendered my life fully to the Lord my last semester at LSU. I was in my apartment out there on Lee Drive. I was by myself. God says it's time for you to decide what you're going to do. You're going to keep living one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Uh, anyway, God put the fear of God in me, and I said, okay, Lord, and the next morning, my biggest concern was my friends. They were not Christians and what they would think about me. The next morning, my best, absolute best friend in the world picked me up he, in his car. We're going to go, both go to class together. And he, Randy, I got to tell you this joke. And I know the kind of jokes he would tell. I know I've shared this before, but bear with me. And, and I said, I said, Mike, uh, I can't, I, I, I'm a, I don't know what I said fumbled and stumbled and bumbled. Is it a dirty joke, Mike? <laughs> yes, it's a dirty joke. I said, I can't. I've given my life to Jesus. I, I don't know what I said. Something kind of like that. I'm a Christian now. I can't listen to that. I probably was white as this pulpit. I was sweating. My voice was stammering. I've never done anything like this in my life. That's a, it sounds so simple to tell somebody you're a Christian. But this is my best friend on the planet. And you could have heard the, the crickets chirping. You know, it got really quiet. There was no more talking after that. I can't, I can't listen to that. I'm a Christian. I didn't know what to say. The Lord says, you better say something. And don't just listen to it. 
Start now. Don't wait five years from now. You'll never do it. Do it now. Open up my mouth, and I said, I'm a Christian. I can't listen to that. Could have heard a pin drop. We go on a class. We go our separate ways. We literally went our separate ways after that. I don't know if I've shared this, but I've got to give God the glory. About 20 years after that, I got to lead him to the Lord. I got to lead my best friend to the Lord, kneeling down by a couch and uh, at a Bible study. But what's the point? That's not, the, that's not a sign of being out of God's will, that you're nervous and shaking and breaking out in a cold sweat. It means Satan's opposing you. Your flesh, everything that there is is opposing you. The only thing encouraging you is Jesus. Every single thing you can think about is coming against you to stop that. We want to overcome that light that's in you. Satan wanted to squash me right there. You go in and go to heaven, Randy, when you die, that's fine. But you're not bringing anybody else with you. Just shut it up right now. And God says, no, I want to use you. I want to use you. It, it, we have to fight to take new ground. We're assured of the victory. We still have to fight. We have to step out. We have to step out and do it, and God helps us. You know what the Lord said to Satan? His friends thought Job was out of God's will, and he was filled with sin, and so all these calamities came. But we know the backstory, don't we? We can read the Bible, and the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. That's an amazing thing. He loved him. He said, you're going to go through it there, Job. Job didn't even know why he was going through it. That's hard, isn't it? Probably hard for the Lord as well to allow his servant. Have you considered my servant, Job? There's nobody like him. He fears God and he, sh he shuns the evil. And guess what? He's getting ready to go through it. He went through it. And God kept him. He had to go through conflict. There's struggles that we go through. There's things that we go through. Paul says, I fought the beasts at Ephesus. I don't even know what that is. I've looked it up. I think it was probably people opposing his gospel and his message at, at every turn in Ephesus. He says, I fought him. Not to go to heaven, but to do the will of God, to be what God had called him to be. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. I want to close with this scripture. Indeed, you can come. Jeremiah chapter 15. I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. They shall fight against thee. He's telling his prophet, the one he said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. He was one that was faithful to God, true to God, standing with God. He says, I've made you like a brazen wall. They, your own people, the Jews, they're going to fight against you but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to, to deliver thee, saith the Lord. I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. So that, yeah, I'm chosen, I've chosen you for this. You're going to go through it. I'm not sparing you from the fight. You're going through the fight. But I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to deliver you. Same promise to Joshua. Same promise to us. Amen, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Y'all stand with me. I'm going to close with a verse that I've already read once before. 
These altars are open, y'all. Behold, I have refined thee, the Lord said, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. That is God's choosing. Don't be discouraged by that. Rejoice, because if he's afflicting you, there's new ground he wants you to take. It's always upward and onward, upward and onward, upward and onward, upward and onward in your prayer life, in your witness, in your joy, in your knowledge of the word, in your understanding of the word, in your ministry. It's always upward and onward. And to take that new ground, there's going to be a struggle because Satan doesn't want you to take that new ground. And he's going to be opposing you. Amen. God is greater. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We don't understand it. If we had done things, we probably would have done it differently. But you're the only wise God. And in your wisdom and in your love, you've seen fit for your people to walk in conflict. That your life might be manifest in weak earthen vessels, God. I thank you that the same promises you made to Jeremiah and Joshua, they're to us as well, God. I will never fail thee. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. God, help us not to run from conflict, but help us, God, to face it in your power and in your might, God, that you might be glorified. In the end, it's really not even about us. It's about your glory on this earth through the lives of those that you redeemed. I pray you bless your people. I pray you strengthen your people. God, if we're suffering because of sin, then God, forgive us. We repent and come out. But if we're suffering in the will of God, Lord, we praise you and thank you that it is for a holy, wonderful purpose. It's going to redound to our glory and to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.